Hi, I'm Jerry Grant, and this is a series of programs we're calling Disc Jockey Confidential here on WVUD and WVUD HD1 Newark, the voice of the University of Delaware. I'll be interviewing some of my fellow VUD jocks to find out what path they took to arrive here at the station. We'll discuss their earliest experiences with music and radio and how those experiences inform their show currently on WVUD. Today's guest is George Mercer from Rural Free Delivery, one of our popular bluegrass and country shows on Saturday mornings here on WVUD for many, many years. George, how you doing? I'm great. I'm glad to be here. Well, let's start out here. Why don't you describe Rural Free Delivery briefly? Rural Free Delivery is a two-hour show on Saturdays that does a mixture of bluegrass, old country, old-time country music, uh, contemporary country music, whatever we decide fits, whatever our audience tolerates. It's it, it would be unique on any other station but WVUD because WVUD has lots of shows that, that appeal to a very broad audience. Uh, and uh, we have, we're lucky over the 29 years we've been doing it, we have a very loyal audience and a very uh, attentive one. They tell us when we make mistakes even. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Let's start out with the basics. How about telling us uh, where you were born and raised? I was I was born up near Lansdowne, Pennsylvania, Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. Uh, my earliest memories are on a farm in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. Uh, in 1950, we moved into my grandmother's house in Wilmington, Delaware, near what is now called Trolley Square. Ah. My first memory in Wilmington really is uh, uh, watching soldiers go off to the Korean War on the B&O Railroad and uh, having my brothers start shouting at me, uh, Dick Sisler just hit a home run. The Phillies are going to the World Series. Wow. So, uh, but that that's what it was. Uh, my family moved from that location while I was in the Army. Uh, did not tell me they were leaving. Uh, but <laughs> it's, it's true. I had to call my aunt, say, is my mother there? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so at any point uh, in your infancy or beyond or something, do you remember, your, I mean, first hearing music or being aware of music? or I, Both of my parents loved music. Uh, my, my, they certainly didn't understand what I came to think of as music, but, uh, they love big band music. Len Miller, I think, uh, one of the famous big bands actually played for my mother's high school prom in Wilmington in the 1930s. They loved contemporary music. Uh, my mother loved opera and operetta. And so I was always surrounded with it. I wanted to be a doo-wop singer. I still want to be a doo-wop singer. Uh, <laughs> In, in 1961 at Wesley College, some friends of mine had a band, and they were singing a Cleftones song, and mm-hmm. I interrupted them and said, you're singing that wrong. They said, how does it go? And 15 minutes later, I was in the band. <laughs> uh, they had folk guitars. Several of the members of the band had what we called folk guitars in those days. I learned some chords, discovered a Weaver's songbook in the Wesley College Library, and I was going to be every folk singer in the world. As it turned out, I was none of them. But uh, <laughs> uh, that kind of shaped my musical taste and it, from the folkiness in the 60s into the 70s when the music changed and I changed and I discovered old-time music and country music. And I said, well, this is what I like. And but as you well know, I, I still listen to soul music. I listen to jazz, classical. It's uh, my my tastes are very broad. Uh, I've just found out what suits my talents the best is old time country music and, sure. and bluegrass. Sure, 
And did you say your mother played an instrument? My mother played a little bit of piano. Uh, she sang. She sang uh, Gilbert and Sullivan in the chorus of Gilbert and Sol- Sullivan operettas out in uh, uh, Arden. Uh, oh, sure. It was she. We didn't have a lot of money, and she was desperate for anything that wasn't taking care of my brothers and I, because <laughs> we were a for another life. Yes, yeah, right, and, right, right. And this, this came along; it didn't cost her any money, and she was able to do that. And it was like this world opened up to her. So, actually, when she got old I, and she couldn't drive at night, etc., I would take her to the Gilbert and Sullivan shows at Arden. Just because it was like a date almost, uh, but we—it uh, mm-hmm. was my way of saying thank you for for the music. And uh, she she had a ball. She would go and disappear backstage, and I wouldn't see her for an hour or two. And so yeah, uh, I grew up with music all around, and uh, uh, it, I I honestly can't think of what my life would be like without it. I just can't. Sure, sure. How about um, how about were the records in the house? Uh, some. We had some, uh, if you remember, uh, you're probably not old enough, uh, 78 albums, album boxes. You know, I've seen them, like yeah. bo- four or five in a box. Uh, yeah, uh, we had them. Uh, had some uh, Hank Williams, actually. Had a Tex Ritter children's album. Also had, uh, again, Glenn Miller, Tommy Dorsey, uh, Mario Lanza. Uh, so we had them, and in night. 19- I'll tell this story. It's more than you want to know. In 1954, uh, a teacher played the Nutcracker Suite, an LP of the Nutcracker Suite in class. I was in fifth grade, and uh, I was so excited about it. I came home and told my mother, made the teacher play it twice, and then came home and told my mother, and she mentioned it to her boss, and that Christmas, the her boss gave me a copy, an LP of the Nutcracker Suite. Andre Kostelanitz with the with his orchestra, and uh, I would stand in the hall and conduct. <laughs> and then when my brothers would tease me, I'd just turn around and face the wall and made believe they couldn't see me anymore. How about your own musical uh, uh, proficiency? Well, let's say, let's say, did, <laughs> did you take music lessons at any no, at any time? No, at I, any I, time. I took clarinet lessons for two weeks and couldn't sound like Benny Goodman, so I quit. Late in high school, and, and then when I went away to college, I learned a, f- a few chords on guitar from friends. Uh, and then I discovered a Weaver's songbook in the college library, and uh, I was a folky. I uh, went out and bought myself a pawn shop guitar, taught myself from books. Uh, I had the good fortune, not so much in those days, but later on when I went back to college after the Army in 1969, of rooming at least for a semester with a guy who was a really good guitar player and singer, uh, who shared my tastes and taught me a lot of different music. I was in a trio and a duo out in Ohio at Muskingum College and uh, uh, sang folk song type stuff. And then when I moved back to Delaware in 1973, I was looking for an apartment, looking through the want ads and or the classifieds and mm-hmm. uh, saw an ad for the Brandywine Friends of Old Time Music concert. And I said, well, I'll go to that. It's cheap. And I went, it was at Brex Mill, the only concert the Brandywine Friends ever had at Brex Mill, Walter Hensley and the Dukes of Bluegrass. And I went in, uh, paid my money. I got myself on the mailing list and started going when I officially moved back to Wilmington in, in December of that of 73. I uh, started going to their concerts. And eight, 10 months later, I was uh, working at, 
one of their festivals in parking lot. And a year later, I was on the board of directors. Uh, and it was on that board of directors that I met the Carl Goldstein, who is famous here at WVUD. Yes, yes, he is. And been on that board for, I think, close to 45 years, something like that now. It's through the Brainwine Friends, again, with Carl on the radio here. And uh, when our friend Alice Siebel was was leaving WVUD, or WXDR in those days, right. uh, she, uh, they were looking for a someone to fill in, take over, and they came, approached me, uh, and I said, that's nice, but I'm not going to do it. Why not try John Lupton? And John said, I'll do it if George helps. So uh, it wasn't quite those words, but it was more or less that's it. Right, and right. so we agreed to do it for a while, and uh, many years later, here we are. The Brandywine Friends and their concerts and festivals, uh, not only, but but certainly were a major part of my musical development and growth and what I like to do. I think with your affiliation with, with WVUD uh, and as a musician, you understand that, that music really is a participatory thing. Even as a listener, you have to participate. You have to, you have to be aware. It's, it's just not white noise. You learn to play to the to your level you can do and get in and get in and get in get into it up to your ears and uh, most of us here at WVD not everybody plays but but many of us in not just in the radio we are up to our ears in in music and uh we we play it I remember I was saying to Alice Sieber once she said, what are you doing? I said, I was up at I Like It Like That record store today, and I, I wasted some money on music. And Alice said, oh, you never waste the money on music. You love it, <laughs> you listen to it, and you share it. And you come down to the radio station and said, here, play this on the radio. It's a participatory art, I think. I think we're all, all involved in it because, because it is so big a part of our lives. Sure. And uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah. No, yeah, I, I agree with you completely, completely. Well, let's go through your army career a little bit, if you don't mind. Okay, oh, don't mind. Um, as long as I don't have to do it again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anything? And what were the years of this again? I'm sorry. I enlisted in the army in 1965, April of 65. I was going to be drafted, and the way it works is you had a, a choice. You could be drafted, and the army sent you where they wanted for two years. Uh, if you enlisted for three years, you got to choose a training, a duty station, or going in with a buddy. I didn't want to go in with a buddy, and I chose training. And the Army sent me to the Defense Information School, which in those days was at Fort Slocum, New York, where I learned to be a military journalist. They also had a radio school that I didn't make the cut to get into the radio school. Uh, what was the cut? Uh the, you had to audition, and I, I, this will mean something to you maybe. I tried to, I, when I read the news, I tried to sound like John Facenda. Oh, I yeah. failed miserably. <laughs> uh, and there, there were a whole bunch of other people in the school who had radio backgrounds, and they went on to become broadcasters. I was a, I was a writer, mm-hmm. and they sent me to Fort Monroe, Virginia, where I, I was there for a year and a half. Great, great day. If you ever get a chance to go to Fort Monroe, you should. Uh, it's important. That's the reason they fought the battle, battle of the Monitor Merrimack. Uh-huh. And uh, one day, a guy walked into the office and says, "Guess who's going to Vietnam?" And he pointed to me, 
and I'd come come down on orders. They sent me back to the Defense Information School for a refresher, and then we took a ship to Vietnam. That that is a whole different set of stories. Right? Is this '66 uh, now? Or? This was that was '67, uh, uh, early '67. Okay. Uh, we took a ship to Vietnam. I was uh, attached to the First Infantry Division. Was there for eleven months, ten or eleven months. I'll just say quietly that uh, I have my, the team of four that I went over with, uh, I was the only one that wasn't killed or wounded. Uh. And uh, it, uh, I kind of irritated my fellow workers because we had a radio we could listen to, and we took turns choosing what music to listen to, and I would often choose a Vietnamese station and listen to the Vietnamese music, which everybody hated. Uh, <laughs> but, but I said, you know, it's once a week, what we're going to for a couple hours. Well, I was going to ask you, uh, you, you know, I mean, just assuming and, and not making light of the seriousness of the situation, oh, no. but uh, but did it affect your musical tastes at all? Or a- It broadened it to some extent. Uh, I Most of the music put out on, on uh, uh, Armed Forces Radio was, was 60s rock. Uh, which I knew nothing about and cared even less about. I've learned a lot more about it since, mm-hmm. but at the time I was like, I don't want to listen to that. I, you know, I'm a folkie. Uh, I was maybe one of two or three folkies in the army. Uh, it broadened my tastes, and and in, in a way, uh, we would go to the NCO club, and uh, they had uh, there were women there, and and they had really great soul bands. Uh, from the Norfolk and Richmond area that would come in and they'd play. And so we'd dance on Friday and Saturday night and you could get beer for a dime. I mean, geez, yeah, uh, right. music, women, and beer. Uh, what else could I, <laughs> you know, like, give, give me the army life. And uh, of all the pop music of the 60s, soul music was like my life chord to, to popular culture because it was dance music. When did you come back from Vietnam? In... <laughs> February 1968, uh, I managed to squeeze the Tet Offensive in there right towards the end. Uh, actually, I was discharged on, from the Army on February 29th, 1968, so I get almost no anniversary. Uh, <laughs> and uh, a year later, I was in college again. And that's when I ran into all sorts of wonderful musicians and friends who, who I'm still friendly with, who I still enjoy making music with out in Ohio and elsewhere. And what was it called again, the school? Muskingum College. Uh, John Glenn went there for a while. The so did Agnes Moorhead mm-hmm. uh, and me. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so you took your guitar out there too and you were playing out I there? I took guitar and banjo and everything. I wasn't very good on any of them. The people I made music with were all better than me. But they put up with me, and I learned a lot from them. And uh, like I said, I'm still friends and still sharing music with them. So Now, and what brought you back to Delaware? Work, uh, employment. Uh, I, uh, Southeast Ohio is a wonderful place, but there's just not a lot of work out there. And so I came back east to be a social worker, uh, which was different. Uh, sure. And uh, again, fell in with the Brandywine friends, and and uh, that has con- kind of controlled my life over the last forty-five years. Something now, like it. now, somebody said uh, you had, or you said Alan remembered you from a coffee house in Wilmington. Yes. And what was that called? In in nineteen sixty four, nineteen sixty five, there was a 
a coffee house in the basement. I, I think it was Grace Methodist Church on West Street or Orange Street, somewhere down downtown Wilmington. Uh, it was in the basement then. They're called the Ankh, A-N-K-H, uh, after the Egyptian symbol of, of something. Mm-hmm. And uh, they had open mic down there, and, and if they liked you, they'd invite you back to sing more, and I, they liked mm-hmm. me enough uh, that I, I, I was almost a star. Well, not really, but <laughs> in the onk I was. Sure, sure. And, uh, it was, again, I, I'm, I've been very fortunate in, in some ways in that, that uh, I keep running into people that have music that interests me. And uh, again, I can talk about the radio station having the, you know, there's so many people with so many different things going on that I can listen to almost anything. Right. Uh, and often do. Um, I suppose we should talk about, uh, we haven't really talked that much about radio during your travels, yeah. but I mean, um, when you were so growing up, I mean, around Wilmington. In, in Wilmington, uh, we used mostly to WAMs, but also to WILM, WDEL, uh, uh, and all that. I can remember being in the Odd Fellows building in downtown Wilmington with my mother and brothers. I don't know why we were there, but we could see the Mitch Thomas show. And uh-huh. Mitch was on radio. With them, and, and like, that's Mitch Thomas. <laughs> he's, yeah. he's doing hi. And and he also had a TV show, and you know the but there we were watching this guy do a radio that that also had a TV show, and uh, years later meeting Mitch here at WVD is like, hey Mitch, I'm a fan. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Uh, and uh, that was there. We listen. I, I wanted, like I said, I loved doo wop. I loved rockabilly. I loved all that stuff. The music changed. I really didn't. <laughs> Or if I did, I didn't know it, and and uh, it was okay. I mean, it's got to change and grow. Sure. But uh, but it, but what? And you know this as well that I do. The, the music that you that is part of you stays the, a part of you, right? Uh, and so it it kind of enriches your whole life. And we all learn songs and music from our parents and our grandparents, and and you know even Lawrence Welk and people like that. You uh, you kind of pick it up from everywhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm singing songs to myself sometimes uh, uh, that I heard on radio in 1950 or something. You know, if I knew you were coming out of Bake the Cake, nobody sings that song. No, <laughs> and no. yet there it was, and I still know it. It was a pericoma, Papa Loves Mambo, Mama Loves Mambo. <laughs> it's like, yeah. mm-hmm. why would I remember that? Yet it was part of my youth. I allowed it to be beaten into my head by by whatever was doing it. Sure. And I, I thought... As, as I, I studied folk culture in, at uh, Cooperstown graduate programs in the late 70s. And it became so apparent that we are such a product of our social environment and and our musical environment, our families, our larger community schools and churches, uh, radio shows that we have no idea. I, mean, I used to listen to the Reggie Levine. I actually asked Mitch Thomas this down here at the studio. I said, when I was a kid, we used to listen to a radio show from from Philadelphia, called the Reggie Levon Show. You go, oh, yeah, Reggie Levon. He did it. I went, so I'm not making that up. I actually do arise. Oh yeah, and uh, we used to. If we got when I was visiting my grandparents in the, the suburbs of Philadelphia, uh, if we got dressed on Sunday mornings and got ready for church, my grandfather let us take the keys to the car and go out and turn on his car radio, and we listened to the First Apostolic Church of Philadelphia. And uh, Bishop McKin- McKinley Williams 
And it was, we thought it was rock and roll. It was just religious words with rock and roll. And, and again, talking to Mitch and other people that are familiar with that music, and they go, I remember back in 1954, 55, I was listening to this. And they said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And they kind of look at you like, why do you remember that? And I said, well, it's part of my life. We just loved going out there, sitting by the car, listening to this music. Like, that was, now that's church. Church was never that much fun when I went to it. I, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll listen to your show. And, and it's like, wow, I remember that. I danced to that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I fell in love and had my heart broken to that song. If you're lucky, it doesn't leave you. It really doesn't. My older brother had a birthday party in sixth grade. And he had an album called, that was bought specially for the party called Teenage Party. And it was, it was the doo-wop music from 1954, 55, 56 in, in New York City. So it had the Cleftones and the Crows and, and all that. Everybody in my family now has a copy of that CD <laughs> made from that album because we listened to it. And it was like that was, it was party music. We never have a party that we don't play that record at some point. Yeah. And it's, I, I don't think I'd trust someone that music wasn't that, a part of what, what their, their whole being right. was. I know what you mean. That's, yeah. I married someone very musical, you know, just uh, it's, it's important. Oh, I think. Well, let's say we didn't talk too much about records, uh, you know, throughout your life. I mean, you did say you got the, the Nutcracker there when you were very young. And then, uh, so before you went in the Army, were you buying we, records we bought then? 40, well, we listened to, we had 45s. Uh, when mm-hmm. I think of some of those records, I go, why was I fascinated by that song? That's valuable information, too. Yeah. When you look at your 45s and say, why did I buy that piece of <laughs> crap? But, you know, right, uh, right. And, no. mm-hmm. A Band of Gold by Don Somebody or Other. Why did I have that? Uh, for something, maybe it's just that I understood the words. I didn't understand what it was about, but I understood the words. Uh, I knew that in an early age, I, I wanted to be Little Richard. I knew nothing about Little Richard, but the fact that he could sing like that was like a miracle. I wanted to be Ray Charles. I wanted to be, mm-hmm. I mean, I wanted to be all those people, and I was none of them. But the radio and the records, and, uh, you know, I grew up in Wilmington with uh, my my, I guess my senior year of high school, Teddy and the Continentals were big. Uh, and we went to see them, saw them at Brexmill. And uh, again, I, one of my great treasures is a, is a CD that somebody, a friend made for me of uh, music by Teddy and the Continentals. Uh, and it's like, yeah, I still go back to, to I call them pre-soul. They weren't really doo-wop, they were pre-soul. Right, right. They were yeah. in that transition yeah, yeah, kind yeah, of from, yeah. right, right, where the singers weren't being as operatic yeah. or, or, or as doo-wop yeah, singers so, were, whatever. So yeah. it's, uh, when you say Brex Mill, I'm sorry, is that at the bottom of Rising Sun Lake? Yes, that's o- exactly On the Brandywine? Right. Yes. And and shows were put on there. There wow. were shows put on there. Uh, again, the Brandywine Friends only had one show there, and I happened to go to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I was in high school, we went to dance parties there occasionally. Uh, they, they had dance parties everywhere. And, and where'd you go to high school? I went to P.S. DuPont when it was still a high school. Uh, we had regular dances there. I actually was... Uh, cutest couple if they went together and that sort of thing they would put in the school paper i was always one of the the best dancers um because i couldn't talk to girls but by god i could dance with them Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it was like okay i can do this is something i can do 
And I, I actually won jitterbug contest and twi- twist contest. Oh, good for you. And I was always envious of guys that could dance. Uh, you certainly played dance music. And, and, oh, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, so you, I just fast. You I get it that way. Yeah, yeah right, right. Um, and, of course, slow dancing is a totally different thing. But Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's why they invented it. <laughs> um, so how about um, – your show, uh, Rural Free Delivery, uh, has it changed over the years? I mean, we've, has anything changed about we've, it? We've, uh, we learned very quickly that we, we each wanted to do what we each wanted to do. And so it's like John's, we, one of us will play four songs and others will play four songs. And they, those four songs are ours. Uh, we get to choose. I have my own pattern. John has his own patterns. I often said, reference to Carl Goldstein's Fire on the Mountain, he tends to prefer bluegrass. John tends to like more classic or contemporary country music. I tend to lean a little bit more to old-time music, but it all fits. And some days we do this and some days we do that. Uh, The audience, I don't know that we've trained the audience or the audience has trained us, but we've... Mm-hmm. We've learned to accommodate them. Uh, we can push the limits a little bit. And once in a while, somebody will call, oh, don't ever play that again. Uh, and yeah. we, we sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. The, but, audience, the audience lets you know. Yeah. And, and they're, you know, I, I had some really interesting lessons on, on radio. From I had done a couple shows out in Ohio, uh, but I didn't do my own engineering because in those days we didn't. Um, or I didn't know how. And uh, I came in to watch Carl and Alice play their music and learned to watch just by watching and volunteered to raise money and what have you. Of course, the, the whole electronic setup radio is so different from when we started 29 years ago. We used LPs and you, you learned how to set the needle down in the right place and cue it up and all that right, stuff. Right, uh, Now you plop a CD in and uh, with any luck it'll play. <laughs> Uh, and you try to read the liner notes. Oh, <laughs> and that's a young man's game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Somebody ever wants to improve that, they can, believe me. So the formats have changed, but the music's still there. We And, you know, we're l- really lucky in that we've had listeners who, who listen to us here move to Nashville or West Virginia or Kentucky or someplace like that and would write letters back saying, we can't get music like what we used to listen to on WVUD here. How can you not get that in Nashville yeah. or West Virginia or wherever it is? And then they, then they move back to the area. You know, the best part of moving back is we get to hear you guys on Saturday. That's, uh, that's special. Uh, sure. We had one guy make lawn ornaments for us. <laughs> uh, it's Well, it's, it's, it's really it's fun to be on the radio, and it's fun to have people listen, you know, tell you I listen to you on the radio. Yeah. It's like, great. And some I, of them actually mean it. Go ahead. I was just going to say, at one of, at one of our uh, bluegrass festivals, I was walking through the parking lot. This is about 1991 or so, 91 or two. I'm walking through the parking lot on a moonless, moonless night. And some guy's walking past me. And I said, good evening. And he said, John or George? Oh, really? <laughs> and, and I said, excuse me? He says, you're either John or George. I don't know which one's which, but I recognize your voice. And I couldn't tell you who he was because it was dark. I couldn't see him. But we talked for a minute or two. And I went, yes. Oh, the fans. Well, the fans, the the true fans are true fans all the way. They are. Yeah. So so thank you. Well, thank you, George. Appreciate it. And um, 
I'll just remind the audience to tune in to Rural Free Delivery from noon until 2 every Saturday here on WVUD, yes. uh, right following Fire on the Mountain for our incredible bluegrass country and old-time music programming. Thanks, George. Thank you. So, uh, how about your own musical education? Did you ever have music lessons of any type? Um, no, I took clarinet for a couple of weeks when I was in fifth or sixth grade and wasn't any good at it, and I, I dropped it. I probably shouldn't have. Uh, when I was in late in high school, and, and then when I went away to college, I learned a, f- a few chords on guitar from friends, uh, and then I discovered a Weaver's songbook in the college library, and uh, I was a folky. Uh, prior to that, uh, interestingly, uh, at least re- reference to WVUD, uh, I occasionally sang in a coffee house in Wilmington in, in 64, 65, and one of my listeners was, one of my audience was a teenage Ellen Ellis, who, oh. uh, who was part of our uh, uh, WVUD family here. Many years later, she walked up to me and said, I know where I know you from. You used to sing a... That's it. So, uh, but the, so I was, I was a folky in those days. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We'll get to, we will get to that. That's okay. great. I, that's, I love that. Wow, that's what. And I'll tell you another VUD story. I was at at work at Aberdeen Proving Ground. There's a fire drill, and we all leave the building. We're standing in a hallway of another building, and we're talking. to this young woman there, and uh, I said that I do this radio show on on WXDR, WVUD, whatever it was, and she's. Oh, is that the University of Delaware station? Yeah, she's. I went to Wilmington College, and we used to listen to the the avant garde show there every day. But uh, it's interesting for me that John and I actually don't talk about this show when we're not here. It's always kind of a surprise. It's I, I've often said that one of the miracles of the show is that after twenty nine years, John and I are still friends. Uh, Right, right, right. What a wonderful thing that is, <laughs> and uh, uh, and I, I I was just recently, as you well know, this is self-serving. I was just recently admitted to the WVD Hall of Fame, and when I looked around at the people who are ahead of me in that, and I go, he was a friend, he was a friend, she was a friend, he was a friend, she was a friend, he was. These are all people that have been a major part of you included. Who sure. have been a major part of my life. The radio station's been a major part of my life for a long, long time. And uh, that's a plus for me, a big plus for me. But it's also a plus that, that we've – it is a miracle in, in a very human sense that we have so many people here who have who love their music and want to share it so much with an audience – that they come in as volunteers every, every week. Every week. <laughs> Rain, snow, shine, flood, fire, you name it. We've seen it all down here. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the, the musics and it, the variety of musics. Uh, I mean, there's days when I've sat down and listened to the, uh, the Raga show. <laughs> it's like... Why am I listening to that? Because because it's there and it's and it's well done, and and I think that that's true of of all the shows. Uh, I know I've called you from from on the road mm-hmm. saying, "Hey right. Jerry, what was that right. that you just played there?" Right. Uh, and uh, it's it's this is a special little diamond in the diamond state that we sh- I think we all should be very proud of our part in it. Uh, I agree. And I know the fans are very proud of us. Uh, so 